what has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Good morning, Grace Meridian Hill. Look, I told my wife this morning, I said, I don't always preach two mediocre sermons on a Sunday, but when I do, I'm glad to do it with the second one with my friends at Grace Meridian Hill. I'm, I'm really glad to be here. I see some of y'all practicing for a summer Bible club. You know, they're going to be glowing for Jesus. Some of y'all glistening for Jesus right now. So I'm going to make this brief uh, as we work through uh, our passage uh, for this morning. Um, would you join me for a brief word of prayer? Father, thank you so much for the fact that we get to be family in the faith. We're grateful, Lord, uh, for your care uh, for our communities. And, uh, Lord, I'm thankful for your blessing on this church. Uh, and we pray together that you would uh, give Pastor Duke and Sister Paula great rest while they're away. And we pray your mercy on um, Pastor Yancey and his lovely family as they mourn and work through their loss. And we pray that you'd have mercy on them and comfort them and, and bless their family. Um, give them hope in their mourning and in their grief. We pray that you would be with this church. Bless their, bless their mission in this place. Bless uh, our friends in here this morning who are maybe coming back to church for the first time or, or maybe are in church for the first time in a really long time. Lord, we are, we are grateful to have them here. And we pray that they would feel welcomed and uh, that you would help them to work through the things in life they're processing right now. So, Lord, bless us to be not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people say Amen. So recently I came across a, a video and an article on the website for Yellowstone National Park. And uh, this video, it tells the story of, of when Yellowstone National Park reintroduced wolves into the park and how it caused a cascade of flourishing throughout the entire park when they reintroduced wolves. And one of the things that they, they said in the beginning of the story is that uh, wolves had been taken out of the park for uh, a long time. And when the wolves were taken away, it caused the entire park to go into a sort of decline. It, it was rough. But then they reintroduced the wolves, and everything started to change throughout the entire park. Before the wolves were introduced, the deer would graze on all of the vegetation, and they caused everything to be barren. But when the wolves were introduced, they began to change the travel patterns of the deer, and the vegetation began to return. Trees quintupled in size in just the space of six years. Barren valley sides became forests of aspen. And when those forests grew, Soon songbirds began to return to the park, and you could hear the sound of the birds singing their songs through the park. And not only did the birds of song come back and the migratory birds, but then the beavers started to multiply because beavers, I'm told, like to eat trees. And as, as the beavers returned, they started to create dams in the rivers. And then the dams in the rivers created habitats for, for ducks and fish and amphibians in the, in the water. And then wolves also killed the coyotes. And, and because of this, it brought back lots of rabbits and, and mice, 
which brought more hawks and, and weasels and foxes and badgers. Ravens and bald eagles were coming down to feed on the carrion. The, the population of bears began to multiply. And the wolves, this was what really blew them away, the wolves even changed the rivers. Because of the wolves, the vegetation on the riverbanks began to grow in and it stopped the erosion of the rivers and the channels began to narrow and pools began to fill out where all of the animals could come and drink water. It was, even the rivers responded to the activity of the wolves. And at the end of the video, this, this is what the narrator says. He says, the wolves, though small in number, transformed not just the ecosystem of Yellowstone National Park, a huge area of land, but also its physical geography. Now, after I finished watching that video, I started to reflect on it because I, I found something very interesting, and, and, and that thing was this. There was one reason why the wolves had such a dramatic impact on the entire ecosystem of Yellowstone National Park, and it was this. Because these animals were true to their design. They didn't, they didn't do anything special. They were simply true to their design. And every other species in the park began to flourish as well simply because these animals were true to their design. Animals that did not find a home in Yellowstone National Park were now returning because these animals were true to their design. There was growth all over the park because these animals were true to their design. And as the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, he knew that though they were small in number, they could transform the social and cultural ecosystem of that city. But there was one thing that the churches had to do. They had to be true to their design. By design, the church is a spirit-filled, Jesus-loving, gospel-bearing, mercy-showing, sin-forgiving, people-serving, God-glorifying community that worships the triune God in spirit and in truth. That's who the church is. That's who we are by design. And the only thing that we have to do is be true to our design. And if we are true to our design, we will see flourishing through the neighborhood. If we are true to our design, we will see people coming back and finding a home where they had formerly felt alienated. If we are true to our design, then we will see growth not only within the church, but in the city and the neighborhood surrounding us. If we are true to our design. Here's the deal. The design of God's people, to summarize that list that I gave you, in a word, our design is to live as citizens. To live as citizens, not just individually, but corporately, to live as citizens. We simply have to live as citizens. This is the message that Paul gives us in this text for this morning. We must live as citizens of the heavenly kingdom. We must live as citizens of heaven, citizens of God's kingdom. You can focus on a lot of things, but if you focus on this one thing, you'll get the rest. C.S. Lewis once said, if you aim at the earth, you won't get heaven or the earth. If you aim at heaven, you'll get both 
If you aim, in other words, if you aim at being a citizen of heaven, living as a citizen of heaven with all of the rights, with all of the privileges and all of the responsibilities that come with that citizenship, it will, it will mean transformation. We're taking the long view. This is what Paul was driving home to the church in Philippi in our passage for this morning. And nothing else matters more for us individually. Nothing matters more for us corporately. And nothing matters more for our mission than that we live as citizens. This entire book is about working together for the gospel. It's about partnership in the gospel. What does it look like for us to work together for the sake of the, of the gospel going out? What does it look like for us to work together to see God's love go broadly in this neighborhood? What does it look like for us to work together so that people will know that there is hope in their despair? What does it look like for us to work together so that people will know that they can find acceptance with the one who truly matters? That's what the book of Philippians is all about. And in this passage, Paul begins to get into the meat of this book. And he begins by saying something very profound. And I, and I, and I want to just focus us this morning in this way. Our, this is what I want you to walk away with. Our partnership in the gospel is deeply shaped by our citizenship in heaven. The more you pay attention to your citizenship, the more fruitful will be our partnership in the gospel. The minute we stop living like citizens is the minute that we start to hamstring and cripple the mission. In other words, our identity is what results in our vitality. Not only our individual identity, but our corporate identity. So let's get into our text for this morning. The main point, our citizenship and the impact that has on our partnership in the gospel. It begins with verse 27, Paul does, if you can... Look at your bulletin. You'll find the text there. He says this. Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, Paul says only as if to say, if there is one thing you focus on, if you could pay attention to one thing, if there's anything that I do not want you to forget or miss out on, it is this one thing. Let your life your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And this is a compact statement that needs some explanation, all right? There's one main verb that controls this entire section. And in your English translation, that, that one verb is translated into your English text saying, let your manner of life be. That's the one verb that controls the entire section. But there is, there's more meat on the bone than what our English translation is bringing to us. This is true and accurate and gives you a sense, but there's a little bit more nuance that I want you to bring out. It's translating a Greek word, politeuiste, and that's where we get our word politics, political. And what this word was used to communicate was this, live as citizens. You must live as citizens. That's what it means to think about your life as a Christian and as a church, we must live as citizens. Now, listen, Philippi was a Roman colony and a leading city in Macedonia. And here's the deal. They had possession of the Italic Rite, which means this. They had the identity of Roman citizens 
even though they were a far away from Rome. They had all of the rights, they had all of the privileges, they had all of the responsibilities of being Roman, even though they were a long way from Rome. Y'all see where I'm going with this, right? Even though they were far away, they enjoyed all the rights and privileges of, of as if they actually were living on Italian soil. And this status, the Philippians took great pride in. They were proud to be considered Roman citizens. It was an identity that they cherished. It was an identity into which they lived. They loved being Romans, and they would boast in the fact that they were Romans. They were proud to have that identity. And here's the deal. At the same time, this is what's happening. The Roman Empire is, is spreading all over the world. And Rome is planting cities all over the world. And their primary goal is to bring everybody under the reign of Caesar and to get everybody living according to the Roman way of life. They wanted to spread Roman values, Roman commitments, and the way in which that happened was by getting the people in different places to live as citizens of Rome. And so do you see what Paul is doing here? He's stealing that word and he says, look, I know that y'all are a Roman colony with all the rights and all the privileges and all the responsibilities that come with that citizenship. But there's a greater truth that you must take into account. You need to remember that God is spreading his kingdom all around the world. And he's planting churches and he's planting Christians all around the world so that he can communicate and extend the fact that Jesus is the true king and to get people to live under his heavenly value system. This is what he's doing. He's saying, look, I want you to live according to a higher citizenship. I know you're proud to be Roman, but what kind of privilege is there in you being heavenly citizens? Think about the values of the kingdom. Rome might be pleased to squash the weak, but you're citizens of the heavenly kingdom, and so we dignify the weak. Rome might be free to disregard the poor, but you're a heavenly citizen, so we, we enrich the poor. Rome might be free to step on the other to get ahead, but you're heavenly citizens and we take the road of, of the low man. We believe in downward mobility. That's the way of the kingdom. Your citizenship is in heaven. And here's the message. Just as Rome expected to spread Roman culture and Roman sensibilities and, and Caesar's lordship all over the world by virtue of its abroad citizens, the only way that, that people will know that Jesus is the Lord, the only way that people will come to know kingdom values, the only way that people will come to see what the kingdom is all about is if we live as citizens. We must live as citizens, it's the one thing, Paul says in this text, the one focus of your life, living as a citizen of heaven. Rome worshiped Caesar as Lord and Savior. Did you know that? That was the title that Caesar took on. But here, Paul is encouraging them to live in such a way that people will see that there is 
one Lord and Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. These aren't Christian words, Lord and Savior. They were the words of the empire. And so Paul is hijacking these categories, and he's trying to contextualize this message and frame it up for the Philippians because they had political sensibilities, which makes it very convenient as we head into our 4th of July here uh, as Americans in Washington, D.C. It's a pretty relevant message, I would say, because the apostle is giving this message to a group of very civically, politically-minded people. Some of them may have been public servants. Some of them may have been Roman soldiers. They worked for the man. They were caught up in the bureaucracy of Rome. But he's giving them this, this message. He, you need to be countercultural in a way that is most productive in the culture. You get what I'm saying? This, this is the deal. In a few days, we're going to hear lots of talk about freedom. We're going to hear statements of civic pride and lots of flags are going to be waving. The stars and stripes are going to be waving all around. I told my people, go for it. I just don't want to see any stars and stripes rompers. That is cause for church discipline, all right? I got a witness in here. We know, being, being those who live in this city, that people are going to come pouring into D.C., and they're going to be pouring into the National Mall, and thousands of people are going to be marveling at the monuments to our founding fathers in America. But all of this, my friends, pales in comparison to what we have as citizens of God's kingdom. American citizens can celebrate freedom of speech, but kingdom citizens can celebrate freedom from guilt, shame, and fear. American citizens can share their civic pride, but kingdom citizens marvel at the redemptive humility of Jesus. American citizens will marvel at the stone monuments of our founding fathers, but kingdom citizens can marvel that the heavenly father rolled the stone away and raised his son Jesus from the dead. America may have won the war with Britain, but Christ won the war with sin, death, and the devil. Americans can sing the star-spangled banner, but do you know what scripture says? It says that God brought us to the banqueting house and his banner over us is love. Americans can be grateful for the stars and stripes, but kingdom citizens are additionally grateful for the fact that by his stripes we are healed. We're citizens of heaven. And that is the higher citizenship to which we must answer. That is the bigger story into which we must live. And we are to let our manner of life be worthy of the gospel because Christ's manner of life produced the gospel. We still come back to the gospel. How do you live as a citizen? You must go back to the gospel. You must draw your resources from that rich fountain. The gospel, that's how you live as a citizen of the kingdom. That's where you get the empowerment. That's where you get the motivation. That's where you get the strength and humility. That's where you're encouraged to repentance and, and renewed in faith that produces this kind of life. It's the gospel. Because here's the deal. Here's the good news, y'all. The Son of God became a citizen of earth so that we could become citizens of heaven. 
That's the good news. It's because he gave up his rights and his privileges and took up our responsibilities that we have been brought into the kingdom and now we have work to do. We got, we got work to do. He stood firm of one mind with the Father and the Spirit for the faith of the gospel and was not frightened in anything by his opponents. He would not allow them to scare him off of his mission to bring us back to the Father's love. And when this good news gets a hold of us, it creates sweeping benefits for everyone around us. That's what we're saying. If we live as citizens of heaven, we will be the best kind of earthly citizens. If we respond to a higher citizenship, we'll be the best kind of Americans. And gospel citizenship will lead us to stronger and more fruitful gospel partnership. And here's a question I've been mulling over as I've let this text hit my own heart. Could it be that the source of so much of our disunity in the church is that we operate with greater alignment to our American citizenship than our heavenly citizenship? Could that be? Here's the deal. The Philippians were tempted to live their lives according to Roman orthodoxies about what they should value, about the way life ought to be, about where someone should give their time and attention, about, about all manner of, of circumstances in life. They were tempted to live according to Roman orthodoxies, but Paul is saying, no, you live according to Christian orthodoxies. And wherever Christian orthodoxy bumps up against Roman orthodoxy, well, you know which one should win. And what I'm saying to you as I process through this, what, what it means for us is that we should not live our lives according to liberal or conservative orthodoxies, but according to Christian orthodoxy. And inasmuch as Christian orthodoxy rubs up against liberal and conservative orthodoxies, you know which one should win. And I'm going to tell you what, neither liberal nor conservative orthodoxies can bear the weight of the redemptive community we were meant to, we were meant to be. Neither one of them can, but Christian orthodoxy can. And I'm going to tell you something. And I told my congregation this this morning. Uh, I'm proud of y'all. I'm proud to know y'all. I'm proud to be a pastor in the mix with y'all because I see so much beauty uh, coming up in, in our network communities on this very point. I'm encouraged by the way that our, our churches are seeking to model this and to embody this. It blesses me to see people who work across the aisles uh, in their 9 to 5 or 6 a.m. to 10 p.m., whatever it is that you work, uh, on the hill and in, in, in our, our city. I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm encouraged to see y'all being able to come together and live and, and model civility and the beauty of humility. And I just want to encourage you to press on in that. And don't give up on fighting for this one key thing that we would all live as citizens because this is a this is an imperative this is a command this isn't a suggestion he says live as citizens it's a present imperative in the greek text which means keep on doing it keep on pressing on as citizens and guess what it's not individual it's not a singular it's a plural that's what y'all got to do together and that's why he focuses on standing in unity what does it look like to be citizens he, he lays it out Standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Do you hear the unanimity that's in this? The mutuality in this? You can't be a citizen by yourself. You need one another. We need each other. There's an abundance of unity framing in this text. And that's the opportunity 
that's before us. If we hold our heavenly citizenship closer than we hold our American citizenship, then we'll really see fireworks. Then, then, we'll, then we'll really see life, liberty, and not just the pursuit, but the possession of real happiness. Not just for the church, but for our neighbors as well. Let's pray that God will make it so. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for making us citizens. And we pray that you would help us to live like citizens, to believe like citizens, to repent like citizens, to humble ourselves like citizens, to serve like citizens, to pray like citizens, to, to live the entirety of our lives, to work, to parent, to befriend like citizens of the heavenly kingdom. We pray that people would get a little taste of heaven a long way from home through this community. Bless Grace Meridian Hill to this end. Help them to uphold one another and to hold one another in their hearts and to live together for this bigger vision so that, so that their partnership in the gospel will bear fruit into eternity. Pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing this next song, Be Still My Soul. Oh